Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, I chat with interaction designer and recent graduate of the University of Washington, Natalie Liu. Now you might wonder why I'm featuring a recent graduate on this show. Natalie is part of the Adobe Creative Residency and she is working on UX projects and has developed a toolkit of resources. And we also talk about her work with Donors Choose. Natalie, already in her career, has graced the stage of events such as 99U and Adobe Max. And I would imagine the future is going to be bright for her. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Natalie Liu. Okay, guys, today I am excited to welcome Natalie Liu, who is a nearly graduated or recent graduate, that is, of the University of Washington. And she is going through the Adobe Creative Residency Project, and that is just about to wrap up. So, Natalie, I'm excited to hear more about that and your background and kind of what you hope to do next. But first of all, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thank you. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. To virtually be here. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I just recently got some gear that I could do these these in person, but it's great that, you know, most of the people I talk to are not in Indianapolis, as it turns out. So totally. it's great to be able to do these uh, virtually as well. Yeah. So one of the questions that I always love to start out with, and I'd kind of love to hear yours as well, is um, this question of origin story. So tell me about kind of what drew you specifically to the Adobe program or to University of Washington and how you found yourself in this new business of design. Totally. You know, I'm growing up, my my mom was a graphic designer. I mean, that was sort of in the days where nothing was virtual and um, she used to talk about it a lot and it kind of inspired me to think. I mean, I grew up in a pretty creative family and um I grew up really passionate about editorial writing, about the arts, um, about music in my community. I, I grew up in Seattle. I'm, and so when I came to the University of Washington, I had an intention that I was going to do journalism and that I was going to be a writer. But the process that I found that I always loved focusing my energy on in um, journalism was the process of the graphic design, like the layout and editing all the papers, not just for the word, for the actual like written content, but making sure that all the illustrations looked right um, and that uh, the typography was set right. And I was like, man, maybe I should actually focus on this part instead. Um, and so when I came to the University of Washington, I knew that I kind of wanted to think about design as a, as a career path. And I got into the design major, which was really awesome and is a super small community. And the design program at the University of Washington, for those of you that don't know, it's a fabulous program where you can decide to go in sort of three tracks. Um, there's visual communication, interaction design, and industrial design. And for a long time, I thought of myself as a visual communication. That was the thing I liked to do. I liked typography. Um, I liked thinking about colors and hues. And um, that was something that I thought was really going to be my path. But the more that I thought about interaction design and what UX design really looks like, the more that I started getting into that space and finding myself really pa passionate and excited about um, the problem-solving aspect of design. And at the same time, I was also starting a minor in philosophy at the University of Washington, something that when I usually tell people, people are a little bit surprised that I mix design and philosophy because it seems like such an unlikely pairing. 
But I always found that thinking in philosophy terms and adding that to interaction design was such a powerful way to um, combine, you know, make an interesting intersection so that problem solving is really holistic and asks good questions and gets down to like the research end of UX design, which is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, And so then I graduated um, in June, this past June, and um, I had applied for the residency. Man, now looking back, it feels like forever ago, but it was about uh, last January. And I thought about it and, you know, I had written up this whole proposal of what I would work on. And then like a lot of things, you know, you apply to something, you get really excited about it. And then you're like, okay, we'll see what happens. And I never really thought that it was going to be a feasible situation (laughs) for me. I mean, who would, right? Like the residency. I forgot you hit send on the form. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and and I had been encouraged by some friends to apply. They were like, you know, if you apply now, um, then it'll be great because they'll recognize you when you apply again in a year, right? Because we were thinking, you know, there's going to be thousands of people that do apply. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I was like, I'm going to do this. And then I forgot about it a little bit. And then I got a call back to start thinking about the residency and eventually I got it. And we started that program in May. So that was um, even a little bit before I had actually just graduated. So it was really, really fast, the whole graduation phase and then starting the residency. And now I live in New York. I moved to New York in September to like really get excited and started in this creative community. And yeah, that's kind of how I got to this this place that I'm at right now. You know, you mentioned something in particular that I've heard from more than one person. I, I want to say it was Chris Doe who had a really similar story where where he went to school uh, on some scholarships. And he just sort of assumed since he submitted his portfolio and got a scholarship that that, that must be what all of his peers did too. But he started asking around and everybody was like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't get a scholarship. And no, I didn't submit. No, I didn't apply. And I think he just basically came down to Maybe he was one of the few people who actually applied. So it's one of those (laughs) things of like just taking the time to go through the process and to submit for an award or for a for a scholarship or recognition or fellowship. Like these are man, it's just going the extra mile. Sometimes the effort is just all it takes to to get that thing that you would have just never dreamed you even had a chance at. Totally. And and you know, the residency is a pretty newish program. This was the third year that it went on and it's been getting bigger and bigger. And I think that I kind of hit that sweet spot, right? Where it's new and everybody has been like talking about it in like the creative community. Um, but it's still like is a program that's really growing and developing. So I felt like right when I applied was like totally the right time to get involved. And it was the first time that the residency started thinking about how UX design would um, would be a part of the residency too, which was super lucky for me. Well, maybe to talk a little bit bigger picture about the residency itself. I'm sure there's lots of uh, young designers listening who are wondering, hmm, I wonder what that is. I wonder if I could be part of that. Tell us a little bit about what the Adobe Creative Residency is about and kind of what the goals are. Yeah. So the Adobe Creative Residency is this incredible program um, that's all about inspiring the next generation of creators and you know, that looks like people that are illustrators and photographers and people that do UX. Um, and they give a few people every year, this year there were six, the opportunity to spend an entire year just focusing on their personal creative passion project and then sharing that out with the creative community and on social media and at public events. 
Um, and it's just a fabulous opportunity to really expand and develop the kind of work that you want to be doing. You know, I think that that sounds like such a simple thing, but the residency allows you to actually take time and consideration and, and think to yourself if this is something that you're super excited about and what sort of paths you want to take um, in your work. So now that you've explored some of the work that you wanted to be doing, does that get you like, are you more in love with the idea of the kind of work that you want to do? Or do you feel like, okay, I've kind of checked that box and I need to explore something else or kind of where, where do you stand now, you know, 10 months into this? Yeah. You know, I, I think that it was such a great opportunity for me to think about, you're right, like that type of work that I'm excited about and that I want to be working on. And something that I found sort of down the line is not just like a further excitement about the field or not getting excited about it. I started to get really excited about the intersections of other industries with UX design. Something that I'm mm. super excited about right now is thinking about the intersection of urban design and urban planning and UX design. And the residency has kind of allowed me to like step into a lot of industries and do like a lot of like primary research interviews and ask people about what they do so that it's not just like me having to make it, you know, working every day um, on something that I'm not as excited about. I'm, I'm so excited about the work I'm doing just because I feel so passionate about the spaces I'm working in. And I think that the residency has sort of allowed me to think about those intersections even more closely. And, um, and I worked on a piece that was all about charitable giving and UX design. And I think that those spaces are the things I'm the most excited about. You know, I can sort of imagine what you mean by this, but I'd love to hear you unpack it a little bit more about how you are incorporating UX into these interviews and kind of how this how this project uh, took shape over the course of the last year. Yeah, you know, so when I went into the residency, what you do is you write out this proposal and you say, I think I'm going to focus on on this thing. This is going to be my 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 project for the year. And then I think the great thing about the residency is that it's so fluid. There's so much openness for if you get excited about one thing, you have an opportunity to sort of like pivot directions. Um, and so I had gone in applying with one idea and kind of come out after I started the residency thinking, I really want to focus on this, this other thing, which is getting involved in spaces that I think deserved um, social good design work. Um, and thinking about how I can apply my sort of extensive UX process to those spaces. So what I've been working on is thinking about all these spaces that I'm excited about, like charitable giving. I worked on a project with um, a charity called Donors Shoes and thinking about the space of professional networking. I'm currently working on a project in urban design. And what I do is I ask myself um, what you know is out there in the field. I do research on sort of problems in that space. And then I um, go through this kind of extensive UX process that I've been able to develop, starting with secondary and primary research where I'm on the ground asking asking questions to people. Um, and then by the end, I'm problem solving with like a tangible physical project, whether that's something that's virtual, that's an app. Um, I'm, I'm coming away with a solution that's founded in, in research. And I think that that is such an awesome opportunity to be able to really develop my creative craft. You know, I think that not a lot of people get an opportunity for an entire year to just focus on solidifying that. And then meanwhile, not only have I been able to work on these projects, I've also been able to share about the projects and my process um, at events like Adobe Max. I'm going to be giving an event um, or a, a workshop at 99U. So I've been able to talk about my 
my creative process to a larger community and get feedback um, and hear stories from other people that say, oh, I incorporate that sort of tactic in my own work. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I think that you could incorporate this tactic that I use in my own process. So it's really been an opportunity for me to grow my own creative craft um, the whole time. Well, I think having the opportunity as a recent grad to speak at events like 99U and Adobe Max, I mean, first of all, that's fantastic and nice work, but was that, was it terrifying to get up on a stage in front of, you know, these are, you know, potentially your, your mentors and your peers and, you know, talk us through that experience or the, maybe the first like stage experience for you. What was that like? Yeah. You know, I am always, I've always been someone that has liked public speaking and um, I I enjoy like being able to talk in in big groups. But I mean, obviously talking at events like Adobe Max, I talked at Seattle Interactive, like those are conferences where there's a lot of like senior people who are coming and and watching and want to learn. And that was definitely kind of nerve wracking to start off, especially because Max is such an amazing conference. Um, And I think that what really, really set me up for success there is I got a lot of mentorship um, at that time with the creative residency and going about um, making like a, a good presentation and making sure that like I'm hitting all these good notes and making sure that like all of my presentation skills are, are looking good and having opportunities to practice. So I think what was so great is, you know, it, it wasn't like I was going in blind to these, these um, public speaking opportunities. It was like, I got a lot of mentorship in that way. And then I was able to like start off the ground. We do these little they're called creative jams with Adobe, where it's like a 15 minute public speaking gig. Um, and then there's like a little competition there. So those 15 minute long presentations, um, kind of set me up for knowing how to approach like an hour long conversation, an hour long presentation. Um, and, and I think that the residency, it, it really supported me in that way because that was something that obviously I'd never done. I'd never give it, given like a lecture to a lot of designers before. And, and I think that the first time is like obviously so nerve wracking, but I feel really great and blessed now that I've been able to learn from, from this experience and have so many public speaking opportunities. And I think I could go forward now and, and feel really confident and excited about it instead of just feeling the nerves feeling, which is obviously super hard to get over to. So was there a requirement with the residency that you speak at these things or was that a total optional thing? There's like a a technical requirement that you talk at like at least one creative jam or or it might be like two or something, but it's really based on personal preference. I have spoken at like five creative jams and I'm going to talk at another one in Philadelphia and I wanted to talk at Seattle Interactive and Max and 99U. So all and I, I spoke at um, a conference at Brown um, earlier in the year, and all of that was like I was so excited about the opportunity to just talk and learn from people that were coming to these talks. You know, I, I think that having an opportunity and a platform to actually just speak about the work you're excited about it's pretty unusual at such an early age, and I, I wanted to really take advantage of that, which I think looking back, I'm I'm really happy about because I feel so excited and confident moving forward in that space. Was there anything during your residency that was especially challenging or what would you say was maybe the the largest challenge during your residency period? You know, I, I think that the residency is really beautiful because it's so open-ended because you can sort of do whatever you want and there's no like finished deliverables where you have to turn in something where at the end you say, I worked on six perfect things and I'm turning it in. I mean, it's so open-ended and so self-directed that 
it almost feels like the best things about it are also like the scariest and the most challenging. Mm. And I, I would often find myself like feeling a little bit stuck because I am such a new designer. I'm thinking, okay, how do I approach this problem? How can I kind of approach it myself? You know, even just the design process that I use where I'm starting with primary research and then I'm going into ideation and I'm finishing with a physical prototype. I mean, that usually takes a pretty extensive design team and I'm much more used to working in a design team for a process like that. So having to figure out my own creative process that I would employ and then I would be able to tell others about, I mean, I think that that feeling of feeling stuck and like the, the world is on your shoulders and what are you going to do with it um, is really, really nerve wracking. But, but after I moved to New York, there was a moment where I was working on this project with Donors Choose. And I remember I, I went into this meeting with them and I came away from the meeting just feeling like I had learned so much in the meeting that we had and they had gotten so much out of the ideas I had come up with. And that was so self-directed that it felt like almost kind of like a, a check mark or a positive um, mark that was like, I'm doing the right thing. This is going the right way. And I'm self-directing this. Like I'm getting help from my mentors, but so much of it is like what I, you know, I'm feeling in my gut, but also the research I'm doing. And I think that having those sort of like indicative marks where you're like, I, it's a moment in time where you're feeling really excited about it and you feel like you're doing a good job is really great in the residency because otherwise it's so easy to feel like it's so hard to like maneuver through so much of the challenges and having to, to figure everything out individually can be so scary. So throughout this project, I'm sure you had opportunities to, you know, have long periods of working by yourself and then in big groups when it came to primary research and then working with clients. Um, so, you know, sitting at this early position in your career, do you think it's something where you want to do more, more solo work or will you be looking for a, a small team or really big team or what's kind of, what's your outlook? I think the great thing about the residency is that I've, I've been able to sort of test all of those scenarios out. Like I've worked with a client and they've been more like um, hands-on with what I'm working on and we're working more closely together. And that's like a whole team of people. And then I've worked solo on projects where I'm working to a client and I'm presenting the work that I'm doing solo. And then I've also done my own personal project, passion projects that's just for me. So having that sort of like platter of options and being able to see what each of those is like, I think moving forward, I'm really excited about the aspect of working with a team of people. I really, really love getting constant iterative feedback and critique. I find that it makes my work so much better. Um, and I, I love talking out my ideas and hearing other people's ideas and, and moving forward um, because sometimes it's it's hard as an individual for me to decide that something is done and say, okay, this, this step is over. Now I'm moving on to the next step or even say, okay, this project is finished. Um, and, I, and I think that a team really helps me kind of feel like that finished feeling with projects. Um, and so I think looking forward, I'd, I'd love to work with a smaller team, um, but still be able to do individual projects. You know, it's been great to flex that individual passion project arm. And I'd, I'd love to be able to continue on kind of both of those paths. Sure. And I know as part of your, um, your project, you created this toolkit of resources. Talk us through why you wanted to make that available to other people. Yeah. So, you know, I am, that was actually like the first thing that I ever came up with in the residency. I was like, I'm going to make this accessible toolkit of resources for people. And, uh, like kind of like what I was saying, you know, my work actually ended up pivoting. So that toolkit of resources 
was actually sort of just like an idea that I had come up with and was going to be a focus of my residency. And I, I ended up kind of creating something like that, but less in sort of the f- online, digital, usable way that I had imagined. I had imagined that it would look like something that people could download and was in like a UI kit. But what I ended up creating is a little notebook that's UX tips and tricks. And it's the first 10 pages of it are UX questions and ideas. So it starts with primary research. And it's like, here's a way to conduct interviews. Like, Make sure um, that you've got all your mic stuff set up before you go into an interview. And there's like little tips um, all the way from primary research all to finishing out a prototype in Adobe XD. And I've got little tips for um, maneuvering around like actually those tools. Um, and then the rest of the notebook is just a blank notebook that people can draw in. Because when, when I was um, in my design program, I often found myself like wanting a place where I could sort of refer back to important ideas in UX design. Because I think when you start out, it's sort of easy to forget all of the like articles you've read and things that people are saying and the lectures you've been a part of. So I wanted a place where people could refer back to some of these ideas and also be able to draw their own ideas um, and, and their own UX sketches. So um, I created this notebook and I am we've been passing it out at events. Um, we're going to do another version of it for 99U, which is going to go in gift bags. And so I, I had always imagined that this toolkit of resources would look like something that was um, online that people could download. But, you know, I think that having something tangible and relating things that are, are physical and real into the UX world allows people to kind of make that translation between drawing something on paper, feeling like it's real and it's in front of you and translating those ideas into the virtual space, which um, I think has been really helpful for me too. What do you think is maybe one of the biggest misperceptions of what UX design is or what a UX designer does? I think that's, I mean, that's a good question because I feel like when you think UX design, especially in the creative community, I think people just think app design and that's all it is. Mm -hmm, And you sort of have an, you have an, uh, an idea in your mind that you're like, just drawing out some random app design like images and they're pretty looking and you put them up on dribble and everything's done and you know it looks all nice and that's what like a a ux designer does or on the flip side that it's like all ugly and you do like information architecture and it doesn't look very good and people are using like old outdated tools and you know i i kind of laugh at that disparity because i think that ux design really is just a methodology for problem solving like the methodology that ux incorporates you know making sure that you're asking real questions making sure you're doing interviews making sure that you're doing extensive ideation like all of those are tactics for making sure that problems are being solved holistically i mean so when i think about ux design I think that a lot of people imagine sort of just that end product, that app screen that looks all nice, that's all flashy. But so much of the meat is the before process of making sure that what's on the app or the website or the, the ATM kiosk or the augmented reality glasses, whatever it is, is rooted in research and is made to be like an actual product made for people. And I, and I think that that's sometimes the thing that people forget about when they think about UX design. Well, you've started off your professional career from a pretty awesome spot, but um, where do you think you'll be doing, say, 10 years from now? Where do you think this is going to take you in your career? 10 years from now, it feels like so far away, but also kind of weirdly close to me. And I think what I would love to be doing is 
thinking about the future of um, like city planning, thinking about like the future future of citizenship, you know, that's something that I've been able to explore a little bit in my residency. And I'm so excited about like how technology is impacting how people vote, how people move around cities, um, who people know. And I'm excited to expand on big abstract problems with UX as a methodology. And, and I see myself in sort of a role where I'm able to, maybe I'm like a creative director in, in a design space, but also maybe I'm doing something where I'm at a government and I'm working with people every day um, to solve these kind of problems. Because, you know, I think it's hard to know what even the future of this space will look like. Honestly, it feels like such a new space to, to enter into. Um, and I think that there's so many different path, pathways that it could take. So I feel like almost my role will shift with the industry too. Do you have any design heroes either, um, you know, in the UX space or just, you know, generally speaking in other forms of design? Yeah, you know, I am, some of my design heroes are not people that you might consider designers. I have been um, recently so into reading about urban design and reading about urban planning that um, one of the the kind of heroes of planning and design that I've been really into lately has been um, this guy, Charles Montgomery. He wrote this book called Happy City. Um, and it's all about how people get happiness out of the places that they live um, and how we can design places to make sure that it makes people happy. And, you know, I, I often find that people who don't technically consider themselves designers are heroes in this space because they're influencing a lot of the thought and the practice that goes into the design process, but aren't so explicitly named. So Charles Montgomery is like a fantastic writer and researcher um, in the urban planning space. But, you know, of course, I also have like people that really inspire me in the design space. You know, someone that inspires me who actually works at Adobe um, is Ash Wang, who works um, for XD. And, and she's just such an awesome interdisciplinary designer. She's also a writer. Um, and I think that having female role models in the design space is something that I'm really passionate about. And, and having an opportunity even to just show off my work to a creative community online, like that is amazing that I'm able to you know, be a model um, with the residency. And, and I hope that like more female designers come forward and we're able to like see that work because I think that there are really, really awesome role models um, in, in this space too. So, yeah. So since you brought up XD in particular, I'm curious which tools you found were kind of your go-tos during your uh, residency. Definitely XD, you know, XD is really resourceful and great to me because there's opportunities to be really iterative and design and prototype at the same time. XD is a creative tool where you're able to draw out wireframes and app screens. Um, and there's a design function and there's also a prototype function. So you can kind of maneuver between these two um, different modes. And then the prototype function, you're able to link things together and try out what um, this screen did this screen would look like, or this button would um, lend itself to this part. And I think that that sort of iterative nature really mimics and parallels the process that I take where I'm drawing something out and I'm saying, okay, I think that that would look like this and it would be connected here. And then I'm able to test it out and say, okay, you know, I actually didn't like that so much. Let's go and draw that again. Like, let's work on this um, some more. And I find that that process really feels like natural to my own process, which, which is really great. And at the same time, you know, I'm using Illustrator, I'm using Photoshop, but I also think that a tool that 
is so often like overlooked in this space, which I think is kind of funny, is like a pen and a paper. Not even pen and paper where you like take a picture of it and it uploads to um, like your <laughs> tools and then you're able to like draw on it and stuff. You know, that stuff is fun. But for me, like having a notebook where if I'm thinking about something, I'm, you know, even if I'm like on the subway, I'm going somewhere and I can just sketch something out really fast. Having like a physical place for me to draw my ideas is so important because I'm someone who needs that in order to make the leap between, you know, something in my mind to something that is virtual and having like physical paper and in a notebook where I'm able to, it feels so analog and kind of old school. And and I really like that because it feels like I'm actually getting ideas out of my mind um, and somewhere physical. Um, and, and so I, I often find that an overlooked tool is just the pen and paper. You know, there's sometimes that it doesn't feel like you're being all that efficient when you're, you know, scribbling away on real paper, but I, I feel like it's just so satisfying to to get an idea down where it's where you've got that physical analog element to it. And then, you know, maybe you jump into the computer pretty quickly to figure out what's next. But I, there's just something about that that um, I think is just satisfying some part of the brain. I'm not smart enough to know which part that is, but <laughs> there's something firing in there that's, that's very happy when you start uh, drawing and sketching. Yeah, I mean, and, and I agree because, you know, I, I often find myself like if I'm drawing something out or if I'm writing ideas down physically in, in paper, on paper, I will just write as many ideas as possible and I'll draw a lot of things and I won't be afraid that it looks ugly. But sometimes when I get to the computer, I have a hard time because I want to make sure just because in my mind, like the computer represents making things look good, making things look refined. I have a hard time being as open and sort of silly on the computer and drawing out ideas in the same way that I would on paper. So I often find that I'm more open in my own mind when I'm just working analog and I can scribble out a hundred ideas on, on a piece of paper. This is a, a tool that I like to do is um, when I'm working on something um, and I'm brainstorming based on the research I've done, I'll fold a piece of eight and a half, 11 by 11 piece of paper up. And I'll set a timer for myself for five minutes and I'll force myself to draw out eight ideas on front and back of the little squares on, on the folded up eight and a half by 11 piece of paper in the five minutes. And it's like, I do not have an option to not draw out eight ideas. They can be bad eight ideas, but I have to do it. And I find that like tools like that, even though they're sort of silly and almost seem kind of elementary, are so, so helpful for me just like actually getting all of my ideas out there on paper and incorporating some of the silly values into the things that I eventually end up making. So, so yeah, you know, I, I think it sounds kind of silly, but I, I often find that a really effective tool um, is just using your pen and paper and drawing out as much as possible and then translating that. So maybe channeling your inner Charles Montgomery. Um, I'm curious if you have <laughs> tips for all the designers listening that maybe there's maybe there's just one thing that they could do to make their city a little bit happier or make their surroundings a little bit happier as as he relates to that. So what would you recommend? What's what's something a designer could do to make their city happy? Yeah, I mean one of the main things in in the text that I read about urban planning and design and just people is that the most important thing is to make sure that people have opportunities to interact with other people. Like human connection is so critical and it's something that we tend to overlook, you know, when we talk about 
the future of UX design. So often we talk about autonomous vehicles and what luxury brands would look like um, and, and what augmented reality for an individual would look like. And so much of powerful design just lies in making sure that human connection is a priority, whatever that might look like. So for people that are passionate about thinking about designing for cities, the first thing I think about is make sure you're providing opportunities for people to get to know people in their spaces um, and for to develop really meaningful connections, because that's something that I've read about so much is that's so powerful. And, you know, I can I see firsthand when we create designs, especially UX work, um, that is just a channel for connection. It isn't the final end stop. The product is not the final thing that you go to, but instead helps actually facilitate and create human connection. That's the most positive thing um, that I think that designers can do. What's a dream project that you have on your radar that you'd like to tackle at some point? Yeah, I mean, it's funny to like answer that question when it feels like the residency is just like all these dream projects. Um, <laughs> uh, but a dream project that I've, I've been able to work on lately is um, I've been working on cataloging and um, making a website of all of the public bathrooms in New York City. I um, mean, making that accessible to all people to know where public restrooms are. Um, and that sort of is like a, a dream project for me because I often find that we have conversations about equity. You know, we have this envisioning of like people, um, at protests with these big signs and they're like, we're, where they're shouting for, for equity. Um, and, and something that I'm so passionate about is turning those ideas of, equity and accessibility and making sure that like the the resources in our physical environment and our virtual environment are are laden with those values that are so important to all of us and so that's something that i've been able to work on is this piece that's all about making sure people know where public restrooms are and which is incredibly hard to find in new york city um, and and that website is going to be up pretty soon so i'm really excited to share that with my community and get feedback on that because that's something that i've experienced in new york and and when i think about accessibility i always think about what resources um are some people missing out on how can we make sure that those resources are accessible for all people and um, that's that's a piece I'm I'm really excited about, and I'm going to continue on um, past the residency is thinking about how we can make sure that our cities create accessible resources. So I know most designers, um, you know, we see the world a little bit differently than the rest <laughs> of the world, and sometimes there are things that you look at and it just absolutely drives you crazy and is frustrating. So I'm curious, what maybe in addition to your public restroom problem, what else you see out there that that kind of drives you nuts. Yeah, something that I think is a, a big topic right now is how do people receive information? How can we make sure that those um, information sources are reputable? How are we making sure that people are getting the type of information they want and aren't being bogged down by so much negativity? How can we make sure that information um, is something that people can learn from and is also a source of positivity? Um, and, and I think that that really stems from education and how can we give our, our children tools to make sure that they're well educated and that they, they are aware of the universe around them. And, and I think that that obviously is an incredibly complex problem. Um, but that's something that I, I notice every day is like I, I read the news and even I am frustrated with what I'm reading, but I'm also like wondering if these are, are, you know, credible news sources and how can we make sure that 
UX design can facilitate making sure that news sources are credible, making sure that people are getting the resources that they are able to identify as credible. That's something that I think is such a big issue that you know we're, we're working on tackling um, and is, is something that I, I would really love to continue tackling. And I think that the design community has really stepped up in thinking about that problem and has come together and asking how, how we make sure that that um, part is better for, for the citizens of the United States. You know, and I, I think that that's a problem that we're going to see really see a lot of cool solutions in the coming years. Very nice. One of the other questions that I that I just have to ask everybody because it's the name of the show, but I'm curious what you find, and this could be either in your design work or just in personal life, but what do you find that you are most obsessed with right now? What I am most obsessed with right now, I think, is getting outside of the design bubble. You know, I, I think that design Twitter, you know, all every there's always so much like design drama on Twitter. And there's always so many designers talking at designers. And something that I have just loved doing that I'm obsessed with right now is telling people to find the space that you're excited about designing within. The best way that I've been able to do that is I go to a bookstore and I just peruse all of the books. I peruse all the sections. I'll open some books. And whatever I naturally gravitate towards that section... I'm going to just pick a book in that section and I'm going to go through it and I'm going to read it. And I often find that the things that I gravitate towards in bookstores, like the topics and the spaces and the research, like that is the thing that I'm the most excited about designing within, right? Because I mean, like in design jargon, like everything is is a design problem, right? And so I think what I'm the most excited about and obsessed with, I guess you could say right now is getting outside of the design world, thinking beyond just like, what could tech do for these problems? Starting to learn about the problems themselves and going to things like bookstores and lectures that aren't about the space and learning all I can about things that feel so outside and otherworldly to UX design and incorporating those ideas in my own work. And, and that's something that I've, I've really been a big advocate for just recently. What would your advice be to either a young design student or maybe even somebody who's um, about to start the Adobe Creative Residency for next year? You know, what would you encourage them in or what should they be thinking about as they enter that period? I think that the most important thing for like young designers, up and coming designers, as well as like new Adobe Creative Residents is figure out like what makes you the most excited about this work and write a list of things that you love about this work. Whether that's like, I love setting type in books. That is something that I just love to do. Or it's, I love conducting UX interviews. That's something that I really love to do. Or even if it's more abstract than that, where it's, I love making things that are used in classrooms or for people, writing down those values and then having that to go back to when things are hard, when it's hard in a classroom, when you're you know finishing design school and you're thinking, this doesn't feel relevant to what I'm doing, or I feel so bogged down with homework and all these ideas, and it feels like people are more senior to me. Having that list of values of the things that you love and that you can return to and can remind you of why you entered this space and what excites you and keeps you motivated every day to be a part of it, I think can be a really powerful and positive thing to do. And that's something that I did this year in my residency is I just wrote down 
what I love about the work that I do. And I made this big list and I, I come back to it sometimes when things are hard and I remind myself, okay, you know what? Something that I really, really love to do is translate talking to people into ideation. That's a phase that I'm so into. And I remind myself of those moments when things are a little bit harder. And I think that that is a really, really, really critical way to make sure people stay excited, especially when they're entering and it feels so stressful. Was your list um, or would your list have been different before the creative residency and from today? Or do you feel like it stayed pretty stable? I think it would be completely different. I mean, (laughs) I I feel like... I feel, you know, I was just having a conversation with my friend about this. And um, earlier in the year, I mean, maybe right before I started my residency, I got really into looking at people's crazy portfolio websites. Like this is something that I used to do all the time. I would look at these fun, funky websites and I would be like, man, I want to make my portfolio website do crazy scrolling and all of these cool colors come out from different sides and big typography. And that was, you know, making more like websites and apps and content that is like more about design was something I was so, so into. And I feel like with my residency, I've almost just completely flip-flopped and switched my perspective. And now so much of my perspective is the things that I value the most are the things that maybe are not so pretty are the interviews and the research and like drawing lots of ideas and encouraging people to draw lots of ideas. Um, and then having conversations with clients and how you facilitate those kind of connections. You know, I think that so much of what I've come to value is not just that final pretty aesthetic piece where you're able to hang it up on a wall or post it on Twitter and say, look, it's, it's all perfect and it looks great. But I, I find that so much of that kind of work that I used to get so excited about doesn't have the sort of like fundamental research that is so, so critical to me. So I think that my list today would be so much more of the not so pretty stuff that in the end has the opportunity to create a pretty and more importantly, super usable, I mean, human centered product. And yeah. So one other potential piece of advice that I'd love to pull out of you is that I'm sure there are plenty of people listening to this show who think, well, I, I'm still kind of into the, the pretty stuff, right? They want to make the thing and they want to post it to dribble and they want to, you know, make the cool design piece, but I'm sure there's room for them to better incorporate research into what they do. What's, what's maybe just one simple step that a more visually leaning designer might be able to incorporate more research into their work? I think that when we use the word research in in design, so often it feels so weighty. Like I have to conduct research. Like oh my gosh, this is going to take forever. It's like you're suddenly a librarian. Yeah, and and it's so boring, and I have to do all this work, and it's going to take resources. And how am I going to find the time? And the thing I like to tell people is the best way to conduct research is figure out who the, the audience you're designing for is. Um, figure out a research question, and then talk to six people. You don't have to talk to 100 people. You don't have to do a big, big survey. The best thing to do is set up just talking to six people, get a little, you know, use your iPhone as a recording device and just chat with them about their experiences, their habits, their fears, their motivations about the space you're talking about. And just listen to people. Just, you know, it can be six people and those six people will give you so many insights and so many more insights than just scrolling the internet looking for things. You know, research papers really, really help my work. But I find that 
personal anecdotes and stories really end up guiding the final project I do because I'm able to say, you know, I interviewed this person and this is a direct quote that they said to me. And here's how I'm able to tie this back to this final piece. And it just feels so holistic. Um, and, and I think that it can feel so daunting to commit yourself to doing research, but really having just some you know, quick conversations with people who are in your audience is such a great way to really open your mind um, to the space you're designing in. You know, this is outing me for something really nerdy, but um, I just finished listening to um, the audiobook of Chip Gaines's story. He's uh, married to Joanna Gaines through the HGTV stars. And, mm-hmm. and I have to admit, like, I've only mm-hmm. seen their TV show like twice, but I'm I'm really curious about their story, just kind of like, the little empire that they built. And one of the stories that he talks about in his audiobook is that he had three finalists for the cover photo for his, uh, for his book. And he ended up taking votes from everybody that walked past his office, all the employees, you know, random people in the hall. And, you know, the, the one that was the far and away winner and the second place were the two that he said, Nope, I'm going with the one that only got one vote. <laughs> and he went totally <laughs> against what everybody said. So What's, what was really interesting to me was it, it wasn't just that he said, I'm going to do the research and ignore it, but, but at least he knew what he was getting himself into when he said, yeah, well, this is what I'm going to do. I know this is the unpopular choice and that's why I like it. So, I mean, even in that regard, like he was doing research and he was trying to get some feedback and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe made a questionable decision based on the research. But I thought that was that was so interesting that that was kind of where, where his head was at was even after he knew that nobody liked that photo, he still went with that one. Totally. And, you know, I I often find too, not everything requires the exact same amount of extensive research that, that big problem solving does, you know, if you're designing like a, a beer label um, at a local brewery, like that probably won't take as much extensive research. You know, it would be great to have conversations with people at the brewery and people that sometimes frequent it and sometimes people that, that feel like they can't go in or it's too uncomfortable for them. But, you know, actually like making sure that if you're going into a space, especially visual design too, that you're unaware with, but is so complex and has so many problems, having those conversations and, and listening to those peers, I think um, is so important. So, you know, even just the fact that people are like conducting like that kind of research, right, where you're asking employees and you're saying, what do you think about this? Maybe it doesn't sound like technical scientific research, but asking people those kind of questions and getting answers and feedback from people is a great way um, to, to shape ideas. I think that's maybe a good place to end on. Um, <laughs> but before we, um, before we go and heaven forbid, before I admit something else that's really embarrassing, maybe you could tell our listeners where they can find you on the interwebs and track you down online. Yeah, so it's just my name, Natalie Liu, um, and Liu is spelled L-E-W um, dot com. That's a great place to see the work I've been doing. And you can also follow me at, at Nat R L E W. Um, that's Natter Liu at Instagram. You know, I'm not very um, frequent on that kind of stuff. I feel like I'm so bad at social media, but I'm learning about it and I'm getting better. And uh, yeah, I would love to to hear from people's thoughts of what I'm talking about and, and get feedback on my own process and my own work. Awesome. And then do you have any other upcoming talks that we should look out for? Yeah, I will be in Philadelphia on April 30th. 
giving a Creative Jam there. And you can find all of that if you look up Adobe Creative Jams. They have them all over. Even if you don't go to mine, you should go to one and just listen to people talk. And there's a fun competition that happens. But I'll also be giving a workshop in tandem with Donors Choose at 99U, which will be really, really great. And I'm looking forward to that workshop and we'll be walking through the steps of iterative prototyping and especially analog prototyping and what that looks like in a nonprofit situation. Um, so, so those are some talks I'm, I'm really excited about giving. Excellent. Well, that's fantastic. Natalie, congratulations on all of your early success. And thanks for being with us today. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that's show number 99 officially in the books. That means next week we are hitting 100. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already while you're there, please add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes, as well as some of the cool things that I have going on in my daily obsessions. I've also added links to the website for all the places you can find the show iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed with Design from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com to find all the links. Twitter is one of my favorite ways to receive recommendations for new guests. Tweet to at Obsessed Show and I'm at Josh Miles. Let us know who you think we should interview next. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Our show is edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.